Talk. You're listening to Money Talk on RTHK Radio 3. All right, having a quick look around the region. Nikkei up, Cosby up, ASX is up. Everybody's looking good. The Cosby is having, looks, looks to be set to have another barnstormer of a day after a great Friday. Uh, your Ethereum and Bitcoin up. And as we noted earlier, Hong Kong futures index looking good. And overnight trading on futures suggests the U.S. markets should be somewhat okay for Monday as well when they get around to opening. Uh, just so you know, the New York Fed survey of consumer expectations and consumer credit data are coming out today, America Times, so keep an eye out on that. And on Money Talks tomorrow, we'll have James Wong from Lead Securities and Mark Franklin, uh, Manulife Investment Management Hong Kong, to talk about it, along with our view from Japan with John Barron from the Asia Development Bank Institute. Uh, stick around. We're going to have Janice Wong and Mike Rouse uh, jazzing it up with back chat after the news. And, of course, as always, I'd like to thank my producer, uh, Christy Lai, and my man on the sound, Song Wing Ming. Quick look at your weather. Cloudy with a few rain patches. Max temperature around six, uh, 20 degrees. Moderate to fresh east with northeasterly. So, uh, yeah, maybe bring a little umbrella, but uh, be ready for some wind, too. Temperature's currently 19 degrees centigrade and 66% humidity on Money Talk. <music> Time is 8.31, and now the news with Tom Warden. Epidemiologist Benjamin Cowling says there's no point in imposing vaccine requirements on arrivals from the mainland, given that the border has already opened, and there will be fewer COVID, infect- COVID infections there in about two to four weeks' time. Mainland arrivals don't need to be fully vaccinated to enter Hong Kong, unlike international arrivals. Professor Cowling also said imposing a PCR test on arrivals from the mainland just caused trouble for recovered patients. I think it's a little bit late to talk about that now because the border's just about to open. And I think that the problems, if there are any, will occur very soon rather than later because the epidemic of infections in the mainland is actually coming towards the end. That In two weeks' time, in a month's time, there will be fewer infections in the mainland than there are today. Professor Cowling from the University of Hong Kong also said the key measure to control the COVID situation was the quota. Police and firefighters say they believe a fatal blaze yesterday afternoon in Shake Wan was suspicious. Anna Marie Evans reports. The fire department was called to the flat at Hing Cho House on the Hing Tung estate at about half past four. Smoke could be seen billowing from the building and firefighters had to lead about 500 residents to safety. They took almost half an hour to put out the blaze. Once they got inside the flat, on the 21st floor, they found a body which could not be identified. At a media briefing, police officers and firefighters said the rapid spread of the fire indicated that it was suspicious. They said the body they found was so badly burned that they couldn't tell for sure whether the victim was male or female. Police say the resident of the flat is a single man in his 60s. The Eastern District Crime Squad is investigating. Turning overseas, thousands of supporters of the recently defeated former president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, have stormed the country's National Congress in Brasilia. Demonstrators wrapped in the national flag quickly overwhelmed police and entered the complex in scenes reminiscent of the attack on the U.S. Capitol in Washington. Carlos de Souza is politics editor at the newspaper Correo Brasiliense. He's in Brasilia. It's a very disturbing situation, a very worrying situation, because uh, 
it seems that uh, authorities from Brasilia, I mean the, the local authorities, not the federal ones, they have lost control of the situation. Uh, we have a crowd of people who are there in the general quarter from the army uh, for weeks since the Brazilian election. And now today, this, this Sunday, they decided to go to the Congress. Thousands of supporters of the recently defeated former president of Brazil, Jair Bolsonaro, have uh, stormed the country's National Congress. Sorry, that story has been read already. President Biden is in Texas for his first visit to the U.S. southern border with Mexico since taking office. He's meeting officials in El Paso for discussions about the record numbers of migrants and asylum seekers there. The president has faced criticism from border officials because of his relaxation of former President Trump's strict border policies. The Republican governor of Texas, Craig Abbott, demanded action. It just so happens he's two years and about $20 billion too late. He needs to step up and, and take swift action, uh, including uh, reimbursing the state of Texas for the money that we spent, but providing more resources for the federal government to do its job. Also, this is for nothing but for show unless he begins to enforce the immigration laws already that exist in the United States of America. Protests are reported to have taken place in Iran against the publication in a French satirical magazine of cartoons lampooning the country's supreme leader. The Charlie Hebdo magazine recently launched a competition calling for readers to submit cartoons ridiculing Ayatollah Ali Khamenei. And that's the news from RTHK. Good morning and welcome to Back Chat. I'm Janice Wong and your guest presenter today is Mike Rouse. Good morning, Mike. Good morning, Janice. Today we're looking at our newly reopened northern border after three years of COVID restrictions. Things were largely smooth yesterday as thousands of people flocked to the mainland where they no longer need to undergo any quarantine at all. For many, it was their first chance to see family and friends since the onset of the COVID pandemic. Chief Executive John Lee went to the Lok Chow crossing yesterday morning to see what was happening for himself. He's confident that the current quota of up to 60,000 each way per day is enough, though he says the government will be keeping a close eye on things to see if the quota can be increased or even completely lifted. So did everything go well on day one? Are concerns about the return of parallel traders overblown? How will things change now that the border is open? again. Let us know what you think. You can leave a message on our Facebook page at Backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Email us at backchat at rthk.hk or give us a call on 233-88266. Now to kick off our discussion this morning, we have on the line Executive Council Convener Regina Ip and Howie Wong, the Vice Chairman of the Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades. Good morning, Mrs. Ip. Good morning. And good morning, Mr. Wong. Hi, good morning. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, so, Mrs. Ip, how would you describe the first day of the resumption of quarantine free travel with the mainland? It, well, everything went very smooth, and I was uh, deeply touched by scenes of family reunion, really heart melting. You know, people have been separated for too long, and the government uh, did their duty, inspected all the control points. Uh, the quotas were underutilized as expected. 
Right. As we can see from the number of um, online bookings, the demand for cross-border travel is quite high. Um, Mrs. Ib, do you think the current quota of up to uh, 60,000 each way uh, is enough for now? For now, yesterday, it was uh, the quota was underutilized. Uh, people are probably waiting for Chinese New Year, closer to Chinese New Year. And even, and, uh, e- even the booking immediately before the new Lunar New Year, still, still seem to be a few slots left. I think, as we all know, um, mainland China, many parts of China, they're still struggling with their Omicron wave, you know. So I don't think... Uh, I can see why Shengshui shops were, were disappointed uh, at <laughs> the lack of parallel traders. I don't think people would be rushing in to snap up... Um, snap of um, consumer items in Hong Kong, that will take a while. Initially, it will be family reunion, Hong Kong people going north for family and business visits, and some mainlanders coming here for, again, family reunion, uh, getting medication and all that, vaccination and all that, initially. Right. Uh, But it does do things, doesn't it, for our usefulness to foreign businesses uh, at Hong Kong as a jumping-off point into the mainland? Of course, a lot of businesses, manufacturers, you know, they need to inspect their factories, their offices in Shenzhen or other parts of, of China, particularly the Greater Bay Area. So the reopening of the boundary is uh, supremely important. Right. So, so uh, when we look at the situation, Mrs. Ib, when do you think it's a good time, good time for Hong Kong to consider increasing the quota or, or scrapping it completely? I think the uh, chief executive hinted at scrapping the quota, uh, review in one week and possibly scrapping the quota soon if things continue to run smoothly. And what factors should we consider in making a, a, decision, a decision like that? The capacity of the control points not overwhelmed, uh, no sharp upsurge of uh, cases in Hong Kong, not overwhelming our hospital system. I think these are critical factors when you have a large influx of visitors. It would be a storming message, wouldn't it, for the financial secretary uh, at the World Economic Forum to say no quotas. Of course, of course, you know. But the reopening is already big news to the whole world, you know. Hong Kong reopening is, um, you know, is um, reported by all international head, uh, media. Right. And of course, the resumption of uh, quarantine free travel with the mainland would mean uh, more business for some sectors, especially uh, the retail and catering industries. Um, let's now go to Howie Wong from the Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades. Uh, thanks again for joining us this morning. Um, Mr. Wong, what's been happening? How's the catering sector been uh, preparing for a surge in business? Um, definitely. I think we, we're, you know, we've been waiting for this moment for quite a long time. Um, a lot of people are now, um, for example, uh, increasing their staff, uh, thinking about more promotions, how to attract uh, more people to the restaurants. Um, I think at the moment, uh, we're still a little bit you know, early before CNY, so we don't see a large uh, you know, increase in, in business. Um, but I think you know, coming down closer to CNY, we should be able to see uh, you know, more business, especially in the Chinese uh, restaurants as well. And of course, uh, we have been hearing a lot about the uh, shortage of staff in the catering sector, and you just mentioned that so many restaurants are, are right now trying to hire staff. Is that, is, has it been easy? 
Uh, no, it hasn't. Um, I mean, there's a couple of reasons. Uh, there, you know, there, there are some people that are maybe still on vacation from, you know, Christmas to New Year's or even planning, um, you know, going uh, to mainland China to visit, you know, relatives, which is also hurting a lot of the frontline staff in a lot of restaurants as well. So um, I think a lot of restaurants are now, you know, trying to uh, hold as many staff as possible and also, uh, you know, think about how to operate with maybe a limited uh, number of staff and, you know, maintain a high level of service as well. Is this going to lead to, uh, good morning, Mr. Wong, is this going to lead to pressure on wages? Um, it's hard to say. I mean, it, it, you know, once you, you have a uh, limited supply of uh, talent in the market, I mean, Definitely in, in the short term, especially for part-time staff, you may have a slight increase in the wages, but we really need to see, you know, after uh, CNY, when things really settle down, if this will be long-term as well. Right. You need you need to have a, a few weeks or even months of steady exactly. business uh, in the new situation. Yeah. And uh, Mr. Wong, when do you expect uh, to uh, really be able to feel the benefits uh, from the reopening of the mainland border? Um, well, definitely, I think, um, you know, during the CNY period, um, if uh, mainland China starts to, um, you know, have, uh, you know, relaxed measures on Omicron as well, um, or, you know, gets, uh, start, you know, feeling better uh, and allowing more people to come down, then we should be able to see, uh, you know, a larger influx of mainland travelers as well. But, you know, hopefully after CNY, um, we should see, in addition to mainland travelers, a lot of international travelers to Hong Kong, uh, not only for vacations, but for business travel. And that's really what we're looking for as well. And, of course, uh, travelers from the mainland right now, they don't have to be vaccinated. And uh, some people have expressed concern about that. Is the catering sector worried at all about it? Um, I'm Obviously, there, there is a little bit of concern, but I think with uh, the majority of the citizens in Hong Kong already vaccinated, you know, um, at least with uh, three vaccinations, um, I don't think there will be, you know, a big uh, increase in, in severe cases in Hong Kong, right? So in, in that terms, I mean, you know, I think the hospital system should be able to um, handle um, any cases, uh, but obviously everyone is being cautious and we're keeping a close eye on it as well. Right. Mrs. Ip, what do you think about that? I mean, do you think you're requiring cross-border travelers to present a negative PCR test at 48 hours before departure is enough? Or um, like other inbound travelers, they should also be vaccinated? Um, they are now being... Uh, mainland visitors have to have a PCR test within 48 hours. Uh, so do so are Hong Kong people, you know. Um, but the, the situation in the mainland is different from uh, from those of overseas visitors. You know. you know, UK and US, they are actually in the grip of the spread of the XBB 1.5. And we spotted the, uh, the first case from UK recently. Um, I think Howie is right. Hong Kong has done well in past few months in vaccination. 94.6% of our population already has one dose. And those with three doses, 83.4%. And that's providing us with a pretty good immunity shield. And I noticed that um, since uh, we got did away with quarantine and other restrictions, uh, our cases surged to something like 28,000. It is now falling back, you know. Right. So I think our vaccination protection is uh, producing good effects. And the vaccination rate in the mainland is actually very high overall, except among senior citizens. Uh, true. And it's, um, the overall figure is high, but 
um, I think there is uh, plenty of um, um, variation between different parts of the city. And I heard that a lot of the elderly in the mainland, like those in Hong Kong, are resistant to uh, getting jabs too, you know. Yes, I, I think there's over 50 million that were uh, senior citizens completely unvaccinated. Mm. Um, we're not even one shot. So do you, do you think the mainland will step up efforts in that area? Well, you, uh, Mike, you will have noticed that Fuxing, which has a license uh, to sell beyond tax uh, um, um, the vaccines, they are advising people to, to pay for vaccination for the bivalence and other shots in Hong Kong on a self-paid basis. And they have commercial arrangements with the um, German manufacturer. And, and the mainland has reported having good results from its own mRNA? Yes, yes, yes. They are also developing their own mRNA vaccines and other drugs. The the issue is though getting those shots in the arms of the elderly. Yeah, true. You know, they, they, it's, it's hard for them, medical people, to force old people to have jabs, just like our people. Is there a risk of a, of a backlash if numbers here uh, start to shoot up again? Well, the medical experts I noticed, Dr. Ho said the, the risk, there could be risk that should be manageable. Right. And as uh, Mr. Wong said just now, the point is, with such a high vaccination rate here, there may be an increase in the number of cases, but the severity of them would be manageable. Um, I've, I've been looking at the number of um, deaths, uh, the cases, you know. Large numbers are uh, chronic cases, you know, and large, but, and large numbers are... I have the uh, uh, death analysis right before me. 91% of the uh, uh, fatalities are people with known chronic cases. Right. And 60, and the vaccination, 62% of those who died have had no vaccination. So it's still a, re a very relevant factor then. Yeah, vaccination, very, very highly relevant. Right. Uh, Mr. Wong, I just want to go back to a point uh, we talked about earlier about how the uh, um, chief executive, he, he's hinted that uh, he, he may consider relaxing the quota further or even scrapping it completely. Um, for, for, uh, uh, in your view, um, the catering uh, industry's view, would you, would you uh, prefer the government to relax it uh, gradually or, or completely scrapping it all at once? I mean, you're talking about difficulty in hiring staff, etc., um, I think it, it goes both ways. Um, uh, for sure, I think if we can open up uh, and you know really scrap the quotas as soon as possible, it really helps uh, not only the catering sector but a lot of different sectors in Hong Kong. Um, I think you know Hong Kong people have um, uh, you know are, are very smart and very agile to you know to do business. I mean, even if you're a restaurant that has you know uh, 20 people and you only have 10. Uh, you're still able to operate your business somehow, and uh, you know. And this is this is the you know the the specialty of Hong Kong people uh, in doing business and and you know maintaining a business. Uh, so I don't think we're afraid that we don't have enough staff to operate. 
Um, but you know, we really want to see more people come to Hong Kong, and you know, Hong Kong is you know Asia's uh, dining city, right? And you know, so many people have been waiting to come to Hong Kong to you know get some really good cuisine, um, and hopefully we can offer that very soon. So you'd like to deal with the problems of excess demand rather than yeah. wor- worrying about, <laughs> yeah. worrying about exactly, it. Exactly, exactly. Get the business in the door and you'll find a way to feed them. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. And, and apart from um, bringing in economic benefits, um, uh, when it comes to uh, the, the reopening of the border, some people have expressed concern that the problem of uh, parallel traders will make uh, will also make a comeback. Although uh, um, I know, uh, Mrs. Ip, earlier you said uh, you don't expect that to be a problem just yet because many people are coming here for a family reunion. But uh, I have an email here. It's uh, from Henry. Well, it's a message on our Facebook page. He says, uh, things did go well generally yesterday at border crossings. I read that police was on the alert for parallel traders and it seems that they were not active. My impression is that those parallel traders are particularly active in Shengshui, but Lo Wu was not opened yet. So um, how will things change? Henry says, naturally more crossings will be open in phases. Business confidence, spending, etc. will go up on both sides. Analysts must have been doing work on raising their economic forecasts. Um, so Mrs. Ip, I mean, right now, we don't really see a lot of um, activity from parallel traders, but uh, looking forward, do you expect a, a comeback from um, parallel traders? There could be a comeback, but uh, the government, you know, has um, assigned the new deputy chief secretary, Warner Chuk, to head up a task force, you know, not a formal task force, to to uh, crack down on parallel trading. I think the government is much better organized and much better prepared this time. You know, the the Discipline services, officials, customs have said if they notice people uh, carrying more drugs or daily necessities than they need, they will be treated as parallel traders, you know. So I think the government is better organized. But on the other hand, Hong Hong Kong is a commercial city. We buy and sell, we provide. Um, is Is it reasonable for us to stop people buying if they can uh, resell for uh, back in their home province? The, the trouble is, uh, from pre- the experience in the past, is there were too many of them, you know, cramming, cramming all the streets, overcrowding, uh, causing a lot of hygienic, you know, waste disposal problems, leading to an outcry from the locals. You know? yes. So the, what the government needs to deal with is excesses, not normal shopping, you know. Right. I do shop a big quantity sometimes, but I don't shop to resell. I think the government is looking at, at those who shop to resell. Well, what about people who just come here to get vaccinated? That's already been mentioned on the show, or or to buy Panadol or the other the other drugs. It's going to be a, a big rise in demand just from well, I think users. I, I've read the report. You know, I'm not privy to the. Uh, Discussions, but I read the report that the government could use the existing law, Prevention and Control of Disease Ordinance, right. to set limits on quantities. Right. Yeah. Um, because we, we do have these powers under Cap 599 to make sure locals, I mean, the, the general population, have enough supplies. Right. One major area outstanding where we are different from the rest of the world, or most of the rest of the world, is the mask mandate. When, when do you think we might be able to relax that? 
again, medical experts have said that we should not get rid of them until the summer, you know, when the winter surge, including influenza, is over. I myself find masks very useful. I'm one of the few legislators and exco members, you know, who have not uh, been infected yet, you know, even though I do a lot of mingling with people. I think thanks to wearing masks, masks have been extremely protective. I think they are highly valuable. So after the flu season? Yes, maybe, you know, when I, the, the, the medical experts, I think, will pick the right time. But I intend to continue to wear them on public transport or in crowded places. Well, that sounds like that where Singapore is already. They scrapped the mask mandate outdoors, oh, must be many months ago, and even indoors a few months ago. I think Singapore requires mask wearing on public transport. Yes, exactly. Um, mm. But we're, we're much stiffer than that, aren't we? Well, we don't, we don't need to benchmark Singapore. Why are we benchmarking Singapore? Well, you know, we, I know... Different cities I, have different problems, you know, different issues to deal with. I've said the same thing myself before, but invariably we always do. Uh, I think we should stop doing that, you know. <laughs> All right. I have an email here from a JR. He says, Dear all, does anyone have any numbers on how many people going from mainland, going from the mainland down to Hong Kong? Um, or, or, all that is mentioned is just the numbers heading out of Hong Kong. Um, I mean, according to the figures I have in front of me, it says uh, um, immigration department figures up to uh, 4 p.m. yesterday, uh, a total of more than 36,000 people crossed the border at four land ports and one ferry terminal. And uh, JR, more than uh, 28,000 of whom were bound for the mainland. So, I mean, if those figures are accurate, if you did a calculation, I guess around um, approximately 8,000 went to uh, came down from uh, the mainland to Hong Kong. If that's uh, correct, I mean, Mrs. Ip, do you have any? Uh, uh, does it sound right? I don't have more up-to-date figures, but that's up to 4 p.m. and that only covers land control points and maybe you know the the Macau terminal. Uh, the air passenger should be fewer in number, so about right, and the quotas are underutilized. What What are the conditions now for Hong Kong people to go to Macau? Because um, it's just like going to the mainland. PCR test within 48 hours. Right, because that, that used to be the great escape, didn't it? Uh, from claustrophobia in Hong Kong, you wanted to get out, you just jump on one of the turbojets and, and you've got your, your weekend of uh, somewhere different. Uh, the Macau health system is, um, they follow the same anti-COVID system as the rest of the, the mainland. So it's, uh, you used to require quarantine for going to Macau, so it's not an escape from claustrophobia in Hong Kong. Now you can go there just like going to Shenzhen with a PCR test within 48 hours. Right. Right. And uh, let me just go back to that email uh, from JR. There's a bit I forgot to read out. He says, I wonder how much more empty Hong Kong will be uh, during Chinese New Year versus how empty it was over Christmas or New Year. Um, that's from JR. Mr. Wong, do you have any idea about that? Um, well, personally, we, we see a lot of, um, you know, a lot of reservations for especially the Chinese restaurants um, because, you know, the family gatherings and so forth. But, um, you know, possibly after the first you know, few days of CNY, there will be a lot of people doing short trips to, you know, 
uh, neighboring uh, you know Asia cities just to you know get out of Hong Kong for a couple of days. So um, I think you know the first you know couple of days into TNY, we should be able to see um, a very good increase in the business. But uh, it's hard to see you know maybe after the first um, maybe the, after the 23rd, we may see a lot of people going out on vacation. Yeah. Right. A good increase. Do you have an idea how much of an increase? I think, well, if you look, uh, maybe uh, according to last year, I mean, definitely um, around 30 to 40 percent increases because, you know, during the same period last year, uh, everyone was, you know, um, quite cautious um, with, uh, you know, uh, uh, early outbreak last year. Sorry, I just froze, Janice. It's all right. I have another a message here from Henry. He said, uh, Oriental News reported that many exchange shops have run out of CNY $100 notes due to uh, the heavy demand on Friday evening. He said, I noticed uh, queues lined up at exchange shops in Prince Edward Station for notes exchange. Um, Mrs. Ip, just uh, very briefly, do you, do you expect uh, um, there'll be shortages in, in, in uh, many different uh, items in Hong Kong with the uh, reopening of the border? Uh, I don't think so. Um, were you talking about shortage of Renminbi notes or Hong Kong bank notes? There was a sort of run for a new Hong Kong uh, issue of uh, $100 notes. But for the mainland, I heard that it's no longer paper-based, you know. Uh, if you go to mainland without being able to use WeChat for paying or Alipay, you'll be in trouble. Right, I a guess... lot of the outlets don't accept a yuan paper notes at all. Right, and I guess it's sort of normal ahead of our Chinese New Year. Um, all right, Mrs. If, I'm afraid we have to take a short break for the news summary. Thanks again for joining us this morning. And that's Executive Council Convener Regina Ip and Howie Wong from the Federation of Restaurants and Related Trades. We'll continue our discussion on the resumption of quarantine-free cross-border travel after the news when we'll be joined by Government <coughs> Pandemic Advisor, Professor <coughs> Lau Yulong and Pharmacist Scarlett Hong. And uh, just a quick look at the weather. It will be cloudy with a few rain patches. Rain will be more frequent at night. The top temperature today will be around 20 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh east to northeasterlies. Occasionally strong offshore and on high ground at first. Right now it's 19 degrees. Relative humidity, 65%. Monday morning with Mike Rouse and me, Janice Wong. We're talking about the resumption of quarantine-free cross-border travel. If you have any questions or comments on today's topic, feel free to contact us. Our email is backchat at rchk.hk. Our telephone number is 233-88266. And our Facebook page is backchat on RTHK Radio 3. Joining us on the program now, we have Government Pandemic Advisor Professor Lau Yulong and Pharmacist Scarlett Pong. Good morning, Professor Lau. Good morning. And good morning, Ms. Pong. Thanks for joining us on the program. Um, in the first half of the program, we uh, discussed the requirement uh, for cross-border travellers to present a negative PCR test 48 hours before their departure. And that goes for all travellers, whether they are vaccinated or not. Um, Professor Lau, do you think this will have much impact on the COVID situation here? Um, I think um, this is the graduates of um, move over to total uh, lifting of all these restrictions. Um, in fact, I suppose uh, the aim is to make sure everyone is uh, reasonably happy. Uh, but what I could gather from my, what um, been shown in the television and what I've read in the newspaper, this move is extremely welcome. Most of the people, in fact, is uh, rejoicing in the family reunion. That is, uh, I think, that is the first point we need to 
uh, take note. Of course, uh, how to reach a total lift off of all the restrictions uh, should be um, stepwise. Uh, I suppose, uh, finally, uh, all the requirement of uh, negative PCR, whether you've been vaccinated or not, will be lifted off um, too. But it needs to be done uh, step by step because you need time um, to assess uh, the impact of um, each step. So I suppose uh, within the next week or two, um, there should be a sort of further revision of whether the quota tapping, um, the PCR, is it necessary or not, uh, as well as, you know, in terms of uh, demanding vaccination uh, proof uh, before you can uh, come into Hong Kong. I'm sort of talking about sort of not only between Hong Kong and mainland, but also Hong Kong and between all the other countries and regions right. in the world. So I think uh, that is the final aim. All right. Do you expect uh, it will lead to a, a spike in infections? Uh, I suppose there will be a little bleep, but that will have no a significant consequence in terms of the megatrend. The megatrend is, um, I suppose, in Hong Kong, we have uh, reached uh, what I call a plateau for quite a few days already. If you look at the seven days uh, moving uh, average, it has been going down uh, for the last few days uh, from over, I think, 22,000. That is a seven-day uh, average to now under 20,000. And another figure that you can look at, it's uh, what we call the monitoring of the switch. Uh, in terms of the viral copy numbers, it has really come down uh, quite significantly in the last few days. Uh, at a peak, it's nearly as high as that um, during the Omicron first wave, that is uh, in early part of last year in uh, late February, March. So I think those are the indicators that indeed Hong Kong has passed out. Uh, plateau, but it takes time to come down from the plateau. And if you think of the number of uh, visitors from mainland, um, I don't know what's the number yesterday, finally, maybe in 10,000 or a little bit more, but my guess is um, most of the travelers in uh, mainland China will be uh, within the mainland uh, because they need to go back to their villages and their hometowns to visit their friends. And just like what you've seen in the television and you've read in newspapers in Hong Kong, is family reunion. Uh, as for those who are going to shop and so on, it will come uh, after the Chinese uh, New Year. And, that is uh, point number one. Yeah. Right. And point number two, uh, for those who are traveling, uh, those are the mobile population. They are very healthy, they are young, and it is highly likely they have been vaccinated to or even three doses. Plus, um, a high proportion of them should have been infected in the last four to six weeks uh, in mainland China. Because, as you know, in the major cities um, in China, like Beijing, Shanghai, uh, Chongqing, and Chengdu, and I know Guangzhou, um, in fact, the proportion of citizens been infected it's uh, as high as maybe 70, 80 percent, or even higher in some cities like Beijing. Uh, so by the time they come to Hong Kong, they should have been vaccinated plus an infection, a recent infection. So the likelihood that they got infected and the likelihood they get infected and have serious disease or illness it's uh, uh, it's really quite remote. How about spreading it um, among Hong, Hong Kong people? That oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's about mixing. Um, if you think about what's happening in mainland now, it's actually been happening in Hong Kong since early part of this year. Uh, it took us nearly a whole year to reach where we are right now, but right. China has taken a very bold step. So they have reached more or less like us, uh, but not quite, uh, within two, two, maybe just over two months. It, it's incredible. I mean, since November, now mm. uh, it's early January, they've lifted the self-dynamic zero COVID strategy and they moved straight ahead, uh, lifting, I think, all restrictions. And in fact, Hong Kong must have the, the strictest
this result in terms of uh, you know how to control this pandemic uh, in, in in this world. So, Professor Lau, e- even uh, if, uh, like you mentioned, uh, cases do go up a bit, uh, you, you believe uh, it should be manageable then? Yeah, totally. Um, if you uh, look at the hospital authority figures, because that's what we're most worried about, uh, whether it will crumble our healthcare system. If you look at the uh, data in the last uh, few days, uh, the total number of hospitalized patients has really peaked, uh, I think, about uh, about 5,000 plus uh, of hospitalized in HA and it's been coming down. Uh, it's about uh, 4,800 now. And in terms of those who are actually in you know, the more serious one, that means those who are actually look after in the ICU uh, and so on, I think that yesterday the figure is 55 altogether. And of course, if you look at other figures, obviously the death rates might go up um, because you have to understand uh, during the first part of uh, of last year, those who die are those without vaccination and those who are very vulnerable, the elderly, especially the 80 plus. Uh, now, the 80 plus who die, a, a, a pro- proportion of them have already been vaccinated, they, but they hardly are really due to COVID per se. They are extremely frail. They are over some of them, over even 90 with chronic diseases. So what I describe this phenomenon, it's, um, it's like um, um, the last straw on the camel's back. And whether it's COVID-19 or whether in the old days uh, before the COVID, it's the flu and so on, this group of very frail elderly uh, would pass away, uh, whether we like it or not. And that is um, the, the nature. Um, so in a sense, uh, there's always, um, we have to think about a concept called excess death. Right. Uh, but that's not easy to explain to the public. What it means is that there is always a background of elderly or very sick people die uh, every year and how much uh, COVID-19 actually add on to it or flu add on. Right. Uh, Professor Lau, yeah. do you think our figures distinguish enough between died from COVID or died with COVID? Um, I think that needs to, to be uh, look at each case. And I think hospital authority uh, uh, actually has uh, such an expert panel uh, so I suppose HA would have some kind of a ballpark figure. But as you know, um, it's very difficult sometimes to say this is directly due to COVID-19 or whether COVID-19 right. actually triggers off uh, complications of an elderly uh, who's actually got heart disease or brain disease or some younger ones got cancer. And so it's, uh, it's an additive effect, I would think. Yes, yeah, so I see somebody's 85, 90, 95, and they die. We forget people... People die of old age. Um, yeah, but sometimes it's, uh, there's, uh, there's a trigger, and sometimes they just die during their sleep. Uh, perhaps uh, they just kill over. It's like, uh, you, know, you know, the last leg of the journey, and, and that's what it is, yeah. Are we going to see a lot of reinfections during 2023? Yes, definitely. The figure is actually going up. Um, if the public would remember, the percentage of reinfection in Hong Kong was around three or four percent, but I've just checked the figure for your interview this morning. It's uh, edging to eight percent now, because reinfection um, for coronavirus is, is the rule rather than exception. Uh, it's just a passage of time. Uh, most of us have been infected, uh, despite the vaccination, because vaccination cannot stop infection. Uh, let's be very clear. I've been saying this for many times already. So with time you'll get infected, and uh, with time you'll get the second infection, and with time you get the third infection, and so on. That's what uh, has been happening for the other so-called old coronavirus right. that's been circulating with us in the last hundred years. You know, so, 
So, so it's uh, nothing very new, uh, but what we need to know, um, the infection is getting less uh, horrific in terms of right. fatality, in terms of Omicron compared to uh, Delta. So I suppose uh, the reinfection will be getting milder and milder one day. You don't even care to know whether you've got a reinfection. No one is going to do right. the rapid test anymore. The government lifted all the restrictions and hopefully we'll go back um, to our quote-unquote um, normality. So I shouldn't be surprised if I get COVID twice this year? Uh, possible, yes. Uh, especially, as you know, uh, we've got, uh, you know, the Omicron, there are over 100 sub-variants, uh, you know, the B1, and then, of course, in Hong Kong, we got hit by B2 uh, early on last year, and now the circulating strain is uh, mostly BA4, 5, but uh, you've heard about all these uh, very difficult to remember names like XBB, PQ, <laughs> uh, and so on, and the XBB, PQ, uh, those the two sub-variants, they're sub Variants of these two big categories are really gaining upper hand in most of uh, the, the Western world, also in Singapore as well. And for those XBB and, and BQ uh, some variants, uh, they actually cannot be protected by our current uh, BA4 and 5 bivalent vaccine. So in a way, um, uh, uh, you get reinfected with those strains. If you go to Japan now, half of the circulating strains in Japan now is of that uh, sort of uh, BB and BQ. Uh, so, uh, in a way, um, the goal of the vaccination in terms of public health is to stop you getting a severe disease after infection, not to stop the infection. It is not possible because with time you still get infected. Even if you've got the bivalent, you get a, a bleep of protection against BA4 and 5 for about six weeks and then it's gone. Uh, but if you got infected, you don't get a severe disease. Right. And so in a way, um, you might just as well get a natural infection because a natural infection, if you had four vaccinations, if you are healthy and young, three vaccinations, the, the likelihood you get severe disease is so remote. Uh, so in a way, um, since all the restrictions will be lifted off and hopefully the isolation order will be lifted off as well, then it, it, there's no implication in terms of legality as well as biologically. Uh, to be infected. Now, Hong Kong, you've still got some kind of consequence of being infected because you, 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 you've got this uh, legal sort of uh, requirement to be um, you know, isolated. So in a way, uh, some of the consequence is man-made uh, because that is necessary during the initial phase of pandemic to slow down the transmission. But now we are right. in the last chapter, I suppose the last page of the last chapter. So I should, go, I should go pandemic. ahead. I should go ahead with my bivalent booking in February. Oh, yeah, please go ahead. I mean, this is a personal choice. Uh, I, I make it very clear. Uh, this is not a public health uh, requirement. Um, the public health requirement is uh, very minimum, uh, at least two or not three doses. But our advice is uh, for elderly, four doses. For those with chronic diseases, four doses. And then for those healthy and young, three doses really suffice. Uh, whether you get a bivalent or the original um, whatever vaccine, BioNTech or, or Sinovac, it is up to your personal choice. The, 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 the point of the bivalent, it will give you another extra month or two protection against infection against BA4 and 5. That's what it is, but will not give you protection against XBB or BQ. Um, so if you elect to, 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 to travel to Japan and thinking having a bivalent will protect you totally from infection for, for four weeks, six weeks, you can enjoy holiday. Uh, be careful, you, you probably still advise to put on your mask <laughs> and make sure you still wear a mask in very crowded uh, areas, but you enjoy the scenery and so on if you're in the outdoor and public. So I think that's a very sensible uh, move for you. Yeah. All right. Uh, um, 
Professor Lau, let's uh, let's uh, go to uh, another guest right now. It's uh, Scarlett Pong. She's a pharmacist and president of Health Connect. Good morning, Miss Pong. Hi, Janice and Mike. Hi, good and morning. Hi. Um, so, so when we look at the reopening of the mainland border, of course, uh, there are more travelers. And uh, Professor Lau here is saying uh, the the risk of uh, increased infection here is not uh, that great. And uh, but of course, uh, we have also been seeing supplies of uh, paracetamol-based medication here running a bit low recently because of an increase in uh, COVID cases last month and also ahead of the reopening of the mainland border. Ms. Pong, what's your understanding of the uh, supply situation at the moment? I think the supply is quite steady, and I think there's not much shortage. And even though you say that it's a shortage supply, it will be a very uh, short period of time. Um, the reason is that because of the logistics, you know, um, the company need to um, uh, reload the supply. And also, you know, it's not like overseas, like Canada, at the beginning of uh, 2021, they actually uh, shortage of supply of that, and the government didn't pay much attention to it. But our government is very effective. They act uh, very promptly, and they have uh, asked the supplier or the manufacturers to increase the supply by 13 to 100%. It also, they already promised to purchase reserves, you know, for the public, you know, if they are not actually in the public system. So um, when you look at the supplies in the public hospitals, they already have five to six months normal supply. And when I look at, uh, my brother is a private doctor, right? And they look at all those friends, they have enough stock in their clinics. So there's no wait or no need to panic because there are opportunities all the time. They want to take this opportunity to uh, take profit, right? Or... Um, so that's why we shouldn't be panicked and buy more than we needed. So in the market, there are more brands, not the single brand that we need, but they are as effective. So that's why we have 756 different kinds of paracetamol uh, ingredients in the market register with Department of Health. Right. So I think it's quite steady and no need to worry. Right. Ms. Pong, but some people have expressed concern about the return of parallel traders. If they do make a comeback, uh, will this uh, supply be um, affected? Um, I think, you know, because I have talked to customers as well, they will increase their actions to uh, stop that. And I think it's quite effective because um, I know that there are people having uh, more stock or normal stock that they need and they won't be able to get through the borders. But there is a propensity, isn't there, locally, to overreact to some of these things, even a whisper of a shortage. I remember how, how many months ago was it that we, we, we all bought up the toilet rolls, for heaven's yeah, sake. Yeah, and also, you know, Mike, um, you remember at the beginning, we are panicked with the mask, and then now, when yep. you look at the mass in the pharmacy and other stores, we are more than have more than we needed, right? Yes. So it's the same situation. We, if we panic, we just actually um, uh, making uh, more purchase, and so that's why um, the stocks will be um, taken by a lot of people that don't need it this kind of medication because as a pharmacist we know that 
one course per person is around 20 tablets. So we don't need that much. So um, it's quite safe because we have government react so promptly. And I think we are quite safe in Hong Kong. At at the beginning, um, I think we have to look at the China supply because we are... um, number one farmer raw material supplier and we supplied over 50 percent of the uh, paracetamol for european market and japan ibuprofen is over 70 percent so we are actually have in a very good position miss pong miss pong last week uh, the health secretary lo chung mao he said the government may consider regulating the sale of uh, fever medication so from what you're saying uh, there's really no need to uh, regulate it then um, I don't think for long term there is no need, but we have to monitor the situation firmly. And I think, you know, um, Professor Lowe mentioned that is quite good because this is a gesture and telling you that, you know, if you stop too much, I will have, you know, uh, regulated purchase or sales. And I think it's, it's a good gesture. Uh, so um, I think it's even difficult to enforce, but um, is is something that we know that we shouldn't do that. Right. Okay. I have an email here. It's from Philip, and I also have another one from Robert, and uh, they're all talking about the same thing. They're saying that uh, our earlier guest. Uh, Executive Council Convener Regina Ip uh, is incorrect uh, when she said that uh, uh, that uh, Hong Kong Hong Kongers who travel to Macau uh, don't need. Uh, it says that Macau doesn't need any PCR tests or RAT tests. Only Hong Kong needs a RAT test upon arriving back. Um, Professor Lau, is that correct? I mean, Professor Lau? Yes, I'm here. For, for Hong Kong people traveling to a Macau, do they need a PCR test? Do you know? Uh, no, not, not at all. I think that's the decision of the Macau uh, government and, and we are all rejoicing in that because you know there's a lot of people moving between Macau and Hong Kong so um, the less the restriction the, the easier the flow and the less burden on the citizens and the more welcome uh, it becomes uh, so I think that is the direction to go. All right thank you uh, for clarifying that uh, Professor Lau. So uh, people traveling from Hong Kong to Macau do not need a PCR test and um, Professor Lau, I just want to go back to a point uh, you made earlier about uh, um, how uh, the the uh, the how uh, unvaccinated mainland travelers coming here will not uh, have much impact on the uh, COVID situation in Hong Kong. Um, if that's the case, do you think um, um, other inbound travelers uh, need to be uh, vaccinated, or, or should that also be uh, scrapped? That requirement. I think I make my position quite uh, clear. So even before today, uh, that is the final um, sort of step. So I don't think um, no, we need to demand the vaccination record uh, because that will add on another layer of sort of inconvenience for traveling uh, to Hong Kong. And the aim now, we have to switch from a pandemic mode to a normality mode in our systems, in our thinking. So if you think about it, um, those who are from the West especially, uh, those, uh, say, in Europe and in America, uh, they've actually gone through this pandemic solidly for three years. Um, they actually experienced multiple waves of infection. Uh, so the likelihood that they were vaccinated plus one or two infections is very high probability. Those are the able people because you have to be healthy before you can travel.
careful anyway. So uh, by the time they reach here, uh, the likelihood that they have not had an infection or been vaccinated is extremely low. Uh, so the mileage that you gain by just asking them to fill in a piece of paper or, or a WhatsApp to say you've got vaccinated and so on uh, is, is getting less and less and less. And, and that's the same argument that I've said there's really no need uh, to demand uh, of uh, inbound travelers from mainland China as well. I've already mentioned to travel there, the able people, they are sort of healthy. Um, and looking at the overall statistics, uh, having the two doses are over 90% in China and it's catching up the third dose to, I think, 6 or 70%. And with those enormous tsunami, Omicron tsunami in mainland China, major cities uh, reaching, my goodness, all the major cities um, in, in China now, uh, I think it's highly likely they are fairly immune. And so why bother and, and mm. put on restrictions? Hong Kong, what we Hong Kong? Uh, citizens need it as free as possible in terms of connection okay. uh, with the world, uh, including mainland China, of course. Okay. And uh, yesterday, um, after visiting the Lok Ma Chao checkpoint, that chief executive John Lee, he, he said he'll monitor the situation and consider increasing the quota for cross-border travelers or even scrapping the quota. Um, how do you think the government should approach this? I mean, uh, should it uh, do it gradually or, or just scrap it completely? Um, I think they're doing it in maybe two or three steps. I think step one is just test the water, just like what we uh, saw yesterday. And of course, you need a few more days. The first day is always exceptional because everyone is putting enormous attention. So the first day is not a real test. The real test would be the coming few days, uh, maybe for a week or 10 days. If that is very smooth and if the, if the quota cap has been exceeded, then I suppose the government um, would have a lot of uh, good reasons uh, to to move the cap up or even scrap it in the second step. Uh, so they might do another step, uh, lifting from whatever number is, uh, I think it's 50 or 60,000 to maybe up to 10,000, and so on. Um, but I think, um, uh, the, 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 you know, we, we should move towards lifting the cap. But whether it's right. in, in the next step or the, the, the third step, it's up to the government to, uh, to really to, to, uh, to review the logistics. It's all about logistics and as well as the consequence of lifting those up. But my guess is uh, lifting those uh, caps uh, will have no major impact on, on, on our social situation in terms of um, whether we can cope with the in, in, incoming visitors that result in burdening our healthcare system. Okay. I, I don't think so. I, I okay. think we have all the reasons to Okay, Professor Lau. Um, I just have a quick, uh, another message here. I mean, we're running out of time, but I just want to quickly read this out and see what you think. It's from T.C. Jung. He says, uh, there are many reasons why Singapore is often used as comparison. One of them is that Hong Kong government officials constantly talk about learning about Singapore. Another one is that Hong Kong considers Singapore as its main competitor. It's interesting that uh, Mike Rouse and Regina Ip now want people to stop benchmarking Singapore when talking about pandemic measures or uh, whenever a comparison is used against Hong Kong. Professor Lam, just uh, very briefly, um, do we? I mean, is it? Uh, do we have a lot to learn from Singapore when it comes to? Uh, um, the COVID, uh, COVID situation, COVID pandemic or COVID measures? Well, I think we are brothers. We are not quite competitive. Uh, brothers help each other. Uh, so if what we've got uh, sort of done well and better than them, they, they learn from us. And if they've done something better than us, we learn from them. You have to remember a lot of uh, people living in Singapore, actually originally from this part of the world, and we've got friends and relatives there. Every single one of us got sort of business as well as academic links and, and so on. I, I don't see 
competition is bad uh, as long as it's done in in in, in a good will uh, situation and benchmarking uh, not only against Singapore against the whole world or against uh, uh, everyone benchmarking is not a dirty word uh, in a way if you done it uh, properly um, in the spirit of helping each other uh, it's only bad when you want to outdo someone and you want to gain you know right. a position leak uh, those are sort of a poison <laughs> yes, indeed. Thinking, you know. and, and for the we record, one world. we live in one world. We do. Um, we have to do all uh, good and 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 we should, we the should end com- of the pandemic. Together. We should compare ourselves with the best. Um, so I think benchmark. And for the for the record, it was Mrs. Yip that was moving away from benchmarking, not me. The, Professor Lau, there was one thing I wanted to ask you because I was struck by uh, you mentioning a large number of people in the mainland undoubtedly getting uh, infected over the last couple of months. Um, there was a report circulating that maybe as many as a quarter of a billion people uh, cases in, in, in November and December. Does that sound a plausible number to you? Yeah, definitely. I mean, because I've got so many friends in all parts of uh, China, from Beijing, Shanghai, Chengdu, even in Ningxia. Uh, they have been WeChatting with me uh, for the last six weeks, so I uh, definitely have first-hand information from them. And so um, the whole unit will get infected within four weeks to six weeks. I mean, within the first 10 days, my friends in Beijing Children's Hospital reported to me 50% of their staff got infected. He himself got infected. Another 10 days passed, 90% got infected. But of course, hospital is hospital. But um, oh, a lot of my friends uh, in, in Shanghai, uh, out of a family of 10, and I got infected within 10 days. Um, because they lift off everything, you know. Even if you're infected, you go back to work. Uh, you work in a hospital, you know. Um, so that it's uh, extraordinary. So that step is enormous step. It's a big step, gigantic step. So if you've got a gigantic step, the up, uh, soft scaling of the tsunami is just enormous. It's a vertical upwards, you know. All right. So, Professor um, Lau, I'm afraid we're out of time. We'll have to leave it here for now. Thanks again for joining us this morning. That's uh, Government Advisor Professor Lau Yilong. And many thanks also to pharmacist Scarlett Pong. Many thanks also to you who commented or emailed us today and, of course, to our guest presenter, Mike Rouse, and producer Yuki. Now, here's a quick look at the weather before we go. Cloudy with a few rain patches. Rain will be more frequent at night. Highs expected today of around 20 degrees. Winds moderate to fresh east to northeasterlies, occasionally strong offshore and on high ground at first. Right now, it's 20 degrees, relative humidity 65%. After years of dedication... We hope to continue our splendid lives even after retirement.